0: Forgiveness basically is the act of releasing someone from your emotional debt, um, feeling like they owe you something. When you're when you forgive somebody, you're literally releasing them from that, and you're you're giving up the right to ever bring it up again. Because that's I mean, if you want to be f- thorough with your forgiveness, that's what it amounts to. Uh, I forgive you. I, I let it go, and it doesn't mean I'm going to bring it up at every family gathering and this, that, and the other, but. Uh, and most people do that but um you know true forgiveness i believe is just releasing the person and then giving up the right to ever bring it up again uh, because it's gone it's behind you It's, it's it's released
1: what is happening everybody how are we doing this is seth i am your host welcome to the can i say this at church podcast so there's a new thing if you will go to the website or in the show notes a couple ways um, that you can help out so first off you can rate and review the show but you should have already done that second off support the show either on glow or on patreon uh, especially this time of year so for patreon supporters you get like a promo code to use in the store and um what better way to get yourself or someone else something that you like at a discounted rate there so there is that and you can ask anyone that knows I am the worst marketer or promoter of anyone that I know. So that's about as good as you're going to get there. However, this I do need your help with. I soft launched this a few weeks ago, just mostly to make sure that I did it correctly. And it appears that I did. There is a survey at the website and in the show notes. So if you click you know, down in there, you'll see the link for the survey. And then over at, can I Say this at church.com, there's a link for the survey. I get asked all the time, mostly by guests, you know, who listens to your show? What's the audience like? Where are they at? so that they just kind of know where the show's coming from and for the longest time, I had no answers and I still really don't of who the people that listen are but that answer is beginning to take place as a few of you have already taken the survey mostly some really close friends that have, you know, I sent it to them to kind of fact check it or break it or make sure that it works so do me a favor between now and the end of December just go and click that button I will take it back down at the end of December Uh, but I would really appreciate your help with that um, I would really appreciate your help with that, and then any other way that you can help out the show. Just uh, checking off the list there on the checklist: so rate and review, support the show financially if able. Depending on the way you do that, you may get a discount in the store. And please do that survey; it costs you no time. I, yeah, a little bit. I think there's ten questions, so it's not like it's a massive amount of time. But that would really help me. I'm really excited for today's conversation. I had I chatted with Todd Vick about his most recent book called "Renewing of Your Mind" and. I really enjoyed it. Uh, He approaches things just from a different point of view uh, that I don't often entertain. And I really like the way that he breaks apart some old stories that we use quite often. But I think that you're really going to enjoy this. So here we go. A conversation with Todd Vick. Todd Vick, welcome to the show, man. Excited to have you on. Thank you so much, Seth. I am just so excited to be here. And then for those not listening earlier, I met Todd's dog. And so you may hear a dog or any other animals, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's always fun to have the animals involved in this. So Todd, this is my favorite question that I ask, and it's the one that I think people like to answer the least. Um, but I like it. So what makes you, you, a lot of your story is in the book, which we'll talk about, but mm-hmm. just at a high level, take a few minutes and kind of walk me through how you got to be what you are right now? Okay,
0: really, uh, it goes all the way back to about the year 2001 for me. I was in seminary, um, and I read a book by a guy called Steve McBay. He actually wrote the foreword in my book. Uh, it was called Grace Walk, and it talked about um, you know his journey as a pastor and the legalism and all the stuff that he felt he was under the religious treadmill uh, people's expectations and how he just discovered grace in the midst of all that. And that just kind of set me on a path because I was, I was that guy, I was doing the religious treadmill. Um, like I was pastoring a church, we were growing, uh, things looked great, but inside, you know, my heart was just, you know, not in it at all. It was just, it was burning out. Um, and that I was doing everything the way I'd been taught, thought I was doing everything right. Um, but it just turns out, you know, years later, I find out that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not wired for that kind of uh, legalistic environment. So I left local church ministry uh, altogether in about 2016. And that from 2001 to 2016, um, you know, my journey was one of just really doubting, asking questions. I was in the ministry, out of the ministry, in the ministry, out of the ministry, uh, went through a divorce. Um you know, a lot of things happened during that time. But uh, one thing that I, that I discovered that just never left me was, was grace. Even when I was doing things that were stupid because I was upset or whatever, uh, God's grace was there to, to catch me. And there was just a moment, um, around 2016 where I realized, you know, I've been doing this the wrong. I've, I've been doing this wrong all these years. Um, preaching the same things and telling the same stories and, um, you know, I just I wasn't even sure that I myself believed it. Mm. and so what what I was going through at the time when I left the church, uh, I, I didn't know what the word for it was, but apparently it's called deconstruction. Um, I didn't call it that. I looked at it as the renewing of your mind, and that's kind of where the book came in. Mm-hmm. But um, that's, you know for the last several years, that's just what I've been doing. I've just been reading new things and 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 reading books that other people would tell me, don't read that because that's that's <laughs> not that's not right but I, but I've just been reading stuff and uh, I, I love it and i'm growing and, and I've met some wonderful people uh, online mostly all my on all my good friends are all online uh, spread around the world but well you know thank goodness we can connect uh you know like this yes. But yeah you know i'm just a, you know i'm just a guy i i don't think I'm anything special I'm just a, a guy who figured out um god is more than than what I was making him out to be
1: when you say religious treadmill, can you tell me what you mean by that? I think I know what I would mean by that, but I'm curious where you're coming from with that.
0: As, as a pastor, there's always, there was always one person in the church that took it upon themselves to kind of tell me, guide me on what to do during the week. And so, um, you know it just became a daily thing somebody would call and say here's what i need you to do today go visit so and so go stop by here and stop by there and i'm doing all this stuff for people in the church i didn't have time to do for people that didn't come to church and and i just got stuck doing for the church so much that i just i forgot how to i was trying so hard to keep my job that i forgot how to do my job mm. Um, and and I just miss opportunities to minister to people outside of the church because I was so busy trying to keep the church happy and you really can't do that, as you know, and eventually they're just going to ask you to leave. And that's what happened to me.
1: Mm, Yeah. Um, and then I want to circle back to what you said at the end there. So you said you're reading some things that people tell you, you know, air quotes, not to read. What are some of those? um, Well, Grace Walk was a great book.
0: Nobody told me not to read that, but it was a great book. Um, I've read um Bob George classic christianity that's a really good book about grace um more recently um I read the shack um by you know paul young changed my life i mean it just messed me up mm-hmm. so bad <laughs> but so good
1: I still need to read that book I haven't read that book i've, I've watched oh, uh, I've watched the um the movie but I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't read the book yeah
0: that the book is really good. I'm sure I, I've never seen the movie ironically, so we're kind of (laughs) opposite on that one. But, um, and then I read, uh, you know, Love Wins by Rob Bell, Mm. Velvet Elvis, uh, books by Rachel Held Evans, uh, Blue Like Jazz. Um, and and the more I read, Brendan Manning, especially, wow, what Mm. a great guy he is or was, but, um, I'm reading all this stuff and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is what I would say if I could put the word, if I could put the words together, I would say these things. And, I began to realize I'm not, I'm not Todd, the Southern Baptist conservative evangelical pastor anymore. I'm just not. I can't be that anymore. Mm -hmm. But even while I was doing it, I wasn't. And I think that's why I had so many problems in churches. I just, my heart just wasn't in it. And they, I guess, they deserved better than that. But yeah, um, it it just ended.
1: Talk to me a bit about your book. So you referenced it a minute ago, you know, the renewing of your mind, which you're using, I think as a metaphor for deconstruction, which is fine. I find so many people uh, don't use that word unless you're in like that circle that uses that word. Right. Yeah. And I think it's good to use a different framework there. So talk to me a bit about like the genesis of the book. So you're reading all these other books and you're, so where was the tipping point where you're like, no, I've got something I need to say. And here's how and why. So how did that kind of begin?
0: I was um, at my last pastorate uh, back in 20,000, excuse me, 2015, 20,000. We're not that far <laughs> in the future yet. Um, 2015, I was uh, doing a a teaching on Wednesday nights on Romans 12 to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I was mostly teaching, you know, the elderly faithful saints of the church that would come on Wednesday nights. But I wanted to give them more than just you know a, here's what the Greek says here's what the Hebrew says I wanted to look deeper and so I started looking into the science of the brain neuroscience mm-hmm. and by by no means do I consider myself an expert I am nothing but a student but I have read some amazing books about the brain and I tried to bring some of that stuff into the church uh, you know on Wednesday nights to try to take our study even deeper but they did I mean they they liked it, but they, you know, it didn't really seem to matter to them, but it mattered to me because while I was going through all this, I'm, I'm under, I'm understanding why I'm the way I am. And that was a big revelation for me because for years and years and years, I wanted to be what everybody else thought I should be. And and I just couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So I realized this this is who Todd is, you know, the, the, the things that are happening to my brain or the, that happened in our brain, they're happening to my brain right now. And so, um, that, that's kind of where the, the seed was planted, but it wasn't until a couple of years later that I actually sat down and started writing out the book. Um, but I had so many notes and so many webinars I attended and so many books that I've read. I mean, there was so much material um, that I brought to the book. I didn't even use it all in the book, but um, just just that's what what started it. I just I wanted more, and, and there's just more knowledge out there than than between you know what I was what I was doing.
1: I want to jump onto that brain thing because the the chapter that you wrote on, and I'm going to say it probably, maybe, I don't know how to say it. I'm I'm just going to say it. Neuroplasticity. I think that's how you say it.
0: Neuroplasticity.
1: Yeah. So you're the second person I've ever heard use that word. Um, I had a friend call me one time uh, to ask me, uh, or no, to to kind of give me a high-level overview to which I was driving. And that's just I'm not in the mind frame to be able to soak that in. At that point, but I like how you you begin that chapter saying, "You know, this is not a science textbook, so you can relax." (laughs) Which far from it. (laughs) Which yeah, which I like. Um, But talk to me a bit about, and for those listening, like, what is neuroplasticity? Like, what does that mean? What have you learned? How does that intersect with faith?
0: Okay, well, I'm 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 51 years old, and back when I was in school, they used to teach us that the human brain had Billions of cells, but they didn't grow, and so the the best that you could do is is not drink, not stomp any brain cells that way. Don't hit your head because if you hit your head, you might lose some brain cells. And for years, that's what people taught that that the brain is just what it is, and it can't be anything else. Modern science, neuroscience in particular, has made discoveries about the brain through um, through amazing technology in in in, the, uh, in healthcare, the MRI, the functional MRI. PET scans. They're able to look at the brain and actually see what it does when when certain thoughts are had or when people are having a religious experience. They measure all of that. And it's just incredible. Um, but neuroplasticity is a word that I discovered um, in a book by John Assaraf uh, called Having It All. I watched him on the movie The Secret, and I really liked his story. So I went and got that book, and, and he talked about neuroplasticity, which is basically the brain's ability to reprogram itself. Um, by by feeding it new information, the brain can actually absorb that information, fire the neurons, and 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 actually begin to take root in your subconscious, which is where ninety percent of thoughts come from, anyway. Um, so I, I I began to study this stuff, and it was just amazing. But neuroplasticity is is the key, I think, for for the renewing of our minds and for deconstruction uh, as we as we reconstruct. You know, we can. We can teach our minds new things. We, we can teach old dogs new tricks, so to speak, um, with neuroplasticity that it, it just is possible that that the brain can can learn new things even at, you know even when we get up in, up in years. Um, um, but yeah, um, neuroplasticity is is powerful mm-hmm. and um, that's just one of the things that I really got fascinated with once I started reading on that, started reading other books on on neuroscience and things that there's so much wonderful stuff out there. But I just became fascinated with stuff like a, yeah. like a nerd. I was just soaking it all in. Um, and I, I don't usually have these conversations with people because it's just boring to them. But um, to me, it's fascinating. The, 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 the capacity of the human brain to to actually learn new things, or reprogram itself mm-hmm. um, by thinking better thoughts, new thoughts, new information, because, you know, for years and years, people thought the earth was flat. And they thought the earth was flat because it looked that way. You know, you turn to the right, you turn to the left, it's flat. But then, you know, discoveries were made that the earth is actually round. And once people absorb that new information, they did it, you know, kicking and screaming all the way. But uh, once once it was proven and they realize it, you know, their brain actually starts to, to realize and reprogram that, hey, the earth is round. It's not flat. It is round, regardless of what we see. Um, and that's, that's just the brain's an amazing organ. And God made it and he made it amazing. And I just think, I think we owe it to ourselves to understand as much as we can about it.
1: So how do you connect the concept of, well, first let me aside, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I have read so many different books on prayer and they like do MRIs on people as they're praying. Um, And even then like just different faiths, like, you know, like indigenous people, when they pray, there's just different parts. Buddhists, when they do their thing, there's just different parts. Like, all the different prayers are activating different parts of the mind and i mean there's evidence that shows you know you can you can literally if you want to be more compassionate as you pray for compassion the parts of the brain that control compassion oddly enough they get and they're like any other thing you use them more often and that highway gets renovated exactly. and gets bigger and and uh you know there's a there's a new interstate or or what that's a bad metaphor but but yeah <laughs> i liked it but um but how does that intersect then with someone and their faith the ability for the brain to reprogram itself or to rewire like how do you how are you intersecting those two in in my
0: situation um you know for almost 30 years i was a southern baptist uh minister very conservative went to a very conservative college and seminary and taught the bible a certain way for a number of years um and once i had just i guess had a little bit of courage or or curiosity to step outside of that and start looking at some other things that's when i realized that i'm missing out on so much and there's so much more that i can put in my brain somebody once said that the average human being only uses about 10% of their brain their whole life. I don't know that that's exactly true. I think that's been debunked, but Mm -hmm. just the thought of that, that only 10% of your brain gets used in your entire lifetime. I was just not happy with that. I I wanted to do more. If I could, if I could do more than 10%, I'd like to do that. Um, so you just begin looking outside of the the box that you're in. And once you do that, you realize that there really is no box. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowledge is is just out there for, for for you to grab, and so I began to grab knowledge that was more, fitting with my particular character. Uh, I'm a compassionate person, a loving person, a caring person. Um, it was it's very hard for me to take scripture and, and turn it on somebody, you know, as a negative thing. Um, I always want to help people and encourage people, and and I was taught kind of not to do that in some ways. Um, for example, um, years ago when I was first pastoring, a a couple came to me, they wanted to get married. Um, No one would marry them because they were living together. Uh, And of course, you know, me being the young, fresh out of school pastor, I was, I said, you know, I I just can't on good conscience, Mm -hmm. uh, good conscience do that for you. And I regret that every day since, um, and I wish I could go back and do that differently, but just that kind of thing that, yes, you can marry people that are just living together. There's, there's nothing that says you can't Oh, and people can bring up scripture, keep the marriage bed undefiled and things like that. But marriage, you know, I don't want to get on a rabbit trail here, but you know, marriage, how we do it today is nothing compared to what it was in the scripture. Mm -hmm. The marriage ceremony was a
2: huge,
0: powerful thing. You know, with us, it's a piece of paper. Um, we go to the judge to get married, and the pastor to get or pastor to get married, the judge to get divorced, or something like that. But um, I, I just think there's there's better ways to do things. And I just wanted to know what those things were. I wanted to find them because I didn't feel good about myself and what I was doing. I wanted to change. I wanted to be a better person.
1: Yeah, is that your dove?
0: Yep. I like that's it. the dove. I like it. I don't think I've ever heard a dove before. Oh, She's uh, about twenty-one years old. She's twenty-three years old.
1: Excuse me. Is that the, Is that also the dove talking?
0: No, that's not the dove talking. That was my lovely wife. Oh, oh!
1: I don't know if doves can talk. So I don't know anything. I don't know anything about birds.
0: Our dove can laugh and bark like a dog. That's about all it does. Well,
1: hello to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite chapters of your book is what you've done with the story of the ugly duckling, um, which for those not paying attention is that old Hans Christian Andersen uh, fairy tale about you know that duck that doesn't fit in and has some awful beliefs about himself. I wonder if, Todd, you could rip apart that chapter a bit and what you're trying to do with it because that's one of my favorite chapters. I think because it's so simple, uh, but that I think that's what makes it so good as well. I wonder if you could rip that apart a bit.
0: Yeah, the um I I resonate so much with the ugly duckling. Um just feeling like you don't fit in, all the other, you know, ducks are better than you, they're more pretty than you, uh they can do more things than you, they have more privilege than you. Um and I grew up in a single parent home and my father was an alcoholic and all my friends, you know, they had their mom, they had their dad, had their great family time, they all went to church together and I just didn't have that. So I always just felt like I was uh, in a way an ugly duckling. So uh, one of the things I love about that story is just taking it apart and trying to assume what the ugly duckling must have been thinking most of the time. And mm-hmm. that's what that chapter attempted to do was to give give the ugly duckling some voice and some some thoughts. You know, like I, I think I used a job interview. Mm-hmm. You know, what what would the ugly duckling look like on a job interview? Um, you know, well, tell us something about yourself, Mr. Duckling. Is Well, I, I make people laugh at me. And, uh, you know, things like that, just, you know, he completely self putting himself down at at all, you know, everywhere. Uh, and then, you know, that story just kind of ties into the, um, the parable or the story of the prodigal son. Um, and I kind of link the two together, but that, that ugly duckling concept is, is, I think it's really, it's more prevalent than we realize in Christianity, so many people are made to feel like they're not as good a Christian as this person or that person. Um, Precious people that, that realize that they are not attracted to the same sex and they're in church and they're afraid to tell people because they know what's going to happen when they do. And so they carry that around like an ugly duckling um, and just feel like, well, everybody else is better than me. There's something wrong with me because I don't, I don't like guys or I don't like girls in general. You know, people, are constantly comparing themselves. Well, I don't go to church like I ought to, or like I should, I mm-hmm. don't read the Bible like I should, or, or tithe like I should. And you know, how should you, who says, how should you do that? And, and is it a, is it a, a formula that we can sit down and, and look at and, and do, uh, and who came up with it? Um, nobody I mean God, God does not expect any of that stuff to make us or to make him love us any more than he already does. And that can be a very liberating thought for somebody. Um, You know, I'm trying to do my best and go to church and just do the best I can till the Lord comes back and uh, deal with this planet the best I can till the rapture comes. And and, and there's just so much more to it than that. There's Mm. so much more to life than that. Otherwise, what's the point? And so that was kind of where I found myself years ago. Uh, I don't want to just wait until the rapture comes and do the best I can. There's got to be more to it than this. There has to be. Uh, It turns out there is. There's a lot more to it.
1: So when people disagree, and as a pastor, I think, I I talk with a lot of pastors as well. And, you know, behind scenes, there's a lot of tears, a lot of crying, a lot of shame. And often there's not a lot of forgiveness. Churches just break apart. Communities break apart. Um, Friendships, families break apart it's just it's just awful. And so you talk a bit about and I forget what chapter it is, but you have a chapter called like the renewing of forgiveness. And so mm. for you, like what is forgiveness? Like how do we use it? How do you posture with it? How does it work in? Because you say in here, you you give a definition of what forgiveness is not. Uh you know, you say forgiveness is not forgetting, it's not an approval of the offense and uh forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation even. So then what is forgiveness if it's not any of those three things?
0: Forgiveness basically is the act of releasing someone from your emotional debt, um, feeling like they owe you something. Hmm. When you when you forgive somebody, you're literally releasing them from that and you're, you're giving up the right to ever bring it up again. Because that's, I mean, if you want to be thorough with your forgiveness, that's what it amounts to. Uh, I forgive you. I, I let it go. And It doesn't mean I'm going to bring it up at every family gathering and this, that, and the other. But uh, and most people do that. But um, you know, true forgiveness, I believe, is just releasing the person and then giving up the right to ever bring it up again, uh, because it's gone. It's behind you. It's 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 released. Um, and when you know when Jesus forgave us, He didn't say, "Well, I f- uh, you know, it is finished, except for you know this area, that area, this person, that person." Um, he said, "It's finished." And that's I mean, that's a pretty bold. Conclusive statement. It is finished. Um, And he tells the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That means you don't need anything else. My grace is enough for you. And unfortunately, grace just doesn't seem to be enough when it comes to forgiveness. Um, God, you know, God has taken me a long journey through forgiveness. I I share a lot of it in the book. I won't spare us that here. But, um, you know, forgiveness is. Is hard if you don't understand what you've been forgiven for or how much you've been forgiven. Um, And I think there's something in scripture that says, um, well, Jesus says, those that are forgiven much understand, you know, forgiveness better than someone who's not forgiven so much. But um, when, when Jesus is telling the parable, he mentions 10,000 talents and so I, I, you know, I read that years ago. I'm like, what's what's a talent? Ten thousand talents? Does that mean he could do ten thousand things well, um, like juggling or something? But uh, it, it's a financial expression of uh, basically, at one talent is six thousand denarii, which is uh, you know, and a denarius is one day's labor back in the biblical days. So basically, one talent is six thousand days of debt. Mm. But he said. it's Ten thousand talents. So you add all that up. It's sixty million days of debt. Sixty million days of debt. And the average person only lives eighty-nine thousand two hundred days if they live to be eighty. Um, so we're talking thirty-seven lifetimes of sin, of debt that that was forgiven hmm. uh, when 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 Jesus was on the cross and he said it is finished. I mean, thirty-seven lifetimes plus of sin gone, erased.
1: I've never never bringing it up again. I've never done that math before. That's powerful. I don't remember if you did that math in the book or not. And if you did, I must, I I I must, I I must have have missed it. I must have missed it. And that's shame on me. I'm a banker for a living. (laughs) Yeah. And so that, that makes all the more powerful the seven times 70 for forgiveness as well. Like, you know, here's the worth of this. Mm-hmm. Here's how often you know you're going to do this, and then here's how also often you're going to do th- both sides of the coin. There's this side, right. and that side, right. I've never done the that math. That's insane.
0: And Jesus never said, you know, on you know, forgive seventy times seven. That doesn't mean that uh, after four hundred ninety times that's it. You don't have to forgive anymore. Mm. Um, of course, he's employing hyperbole there. You forgive as many as much as it takes, uh, and then he just goes on to break it down like that. Um, and the story. Even though it's a parable, it's a powerful story that gives us two versions of forgiveness. It gives us the forgiveness itself and the gratitude of being forgiven of such an enormous unpayable, ever unpayable debt, um, to the next scene where the guy finds somebody that owed him um, basically $16, in equivalent, uh, and he you know chokes him and says, pay me what you owe me, mm. um, and puts him in prison. And then the king finds out about this. And and then, uh, and then you know, the, the story ends with um, God turned him over to the tormentors. And that's always bothered me, too, because, you know, if God is love and God is forgiveness, then what's this tormenting thing? That, and, and quite literally, the tormenting is what we bring on ourselves when we do not forgive. That's the torment that, that, that uh, I believe God is speaking of or Jesus was speaking of in that parable. Um, it's not that God turns you over to something really awful. It's so that you bring something really awful into your mind. Mm. Um and it, it really and, you know, I think many people take pills for that. We you know, we call it depression, we call it anxiety. I can't prove that everybody's you know holding bitterness, and that's what the problem is. But I wonder how many people would be healed of depression and healed of anxiety if they would just learn to properly forgive someone else. And 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 I, you know, I've had to work through that. It's it's one thing to to write about it is one thing to teach about it is one thing to preach about it, but to actually do it. Yeah. That's, that's where the, you know, that's where the, that's where it gets hard. Yeah. Uh, and so, so I've worked through forgiveness for many, many years and it's just an ongoing process, but uh, you know, I break it down. I've, I've broke it down to three things in the book Here's what you do. You, you know, you write a list of people that you need to forgive and the list will be ongoing. Um, and you know, with each person on the list, you just say, okay, so-and-so, uh, I love you. Uh, I, or I forgive you, I release you, and I love you. And once you do that, more and more, you start actually, you know, the neuroplasticity starts, you know, bringing that to your brain more. And you start thinking that way. Um, it, and it just changes. It changes a lot. Um, you know, when we talk about forgiveness, another thing that I've, you know, preached on forgiveness and gotten in trouble with, um, you know, is forgiving the terrorist, you know, who per, per, uh, perpetrated nine eleven you know, forgiving Osama bin Laden, forgiving, you know, Saddam Hussein. And you you say this in a church and I've actually had people get up and walk out and I understand why they're doing it. It offends your American pride, mm-hmm. but we're about, we're not about American. We're about, we're, we're about the kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, forgiveness is power. Forgiveness is life. Forgiveness is grace. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's empowering when you forgive somebody like that. That doesn't mean you approve of terrorism. And it doesn't mean that you think what they did was right. It just means I'm not going to hold this grudge for you because it's hurting me to do so. Mm. And it's actually, it's actually tormenting me to not forgive you. And so I have to do it because if I don't do it, I'm going to be tormented. Um, so forgiveness is for our benefit as much as more than anything else. Um, forgiveness releases people from our debt, releases us from the burden of having to hate them. And, and it's, it's just very liberating and powerful. And I really spent a lot of time in the book with that because I wanted to get that across. Mm-hmm. It's just so crucial to your spiritual life. If you're holding unforgiveness, you're just not going to grow. Yeah. It's just that simple.
1: Yeah. So one of the questions I wrote down um, as I thought through, you know, the overall arching theme of your book. And it's because so at our church recently, like we meet every so often on Sunday nights. And I honestly can't remember the cadence because I just... F- remember about it that sunday morning and then I'm like yeah sure we're coming back. It's like once every 4 6 weeks, something like that. And we've been working through the Enneagram, which I've been enjoying, but we talk a lot about, you know, in that in that framework. Are you familiar at all with that framework of the Enneagram or no?
0: I've just started looking into it. I've I've heard enough people talk about it and I figure well I better better get on board.
1: It's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um and I don't want to be one of those people that just makes everything that. But in there there is, you know, there's a heart there's a mind and there's like a body and scripture also says that, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, uh, with all your strength, you know, your body. And so as mm-hmm. you're renewing your mind, one of the questions I wrote is how is that impacting? How do you see that impacting our heart and our body? There,
0: there's new science that the brain is closely connected with the gut, so to speak, the, the, you know, where you really feel something in your gut. Um, there's a there's a fancy medical word for that that escapes me at the moment, but um, when you feel something in your gut, it's, you know, it's coming from your brain. They're they're actually connected, um, and some people say, "Well, listen to your heart, not your brain." You're actually talking basically about the same thing because they're connected, uh, heart and brain. That the, the, the heart responds as as the brain tells it to, um, but we can tell the brain what we want to believe. Blah blah blah. Anyway, um, so using. Uh, The brain, you know, forgiveness, uh, things like that, actually, you know, joy, love, all of these things cause the um, cause uh, dopamine and they cause um, endorphins to to secrete from the brain and into the body. Um, Forgiveness actually is good for your health. There's actually health benefits. I think I covered in the book some of that um, health benefits to, to forgiving someone. Um, it just makes your stomach feel better. It makes your, your body feel better. you you, you have less stress, you have less joint pain, things like that. Just because you, you train your brain to forgive instead of hold a grudge because holding a grudge is where you get the stomach problems and the digestive problems, Mm -hmm. high blood pressure, high cholesterol. A lot of that stems from just wrong thinking or unhealthy thinking. Um, but when you, when you start to renew the mind, it, it, the brain actually helps the body by releasing those chemicals into the body. Um and it, it, it call it just promotes healing, it promotes happiness. Um you know, I, I meet people a lot that are, you know, that go to church and they, you know, they have a bumper sticker too blessed to be stressed. Hmm. Uh, hmm. and I, I just that's just bull crap. I mean, to me, that's just bull crap. Um because you know, stress is a very powerful thing and and um you can't be you know, you got to have some of it in your life, but how you deal with it is is uh, is key. Um, but denying it, I think, is what the be blessed too stressed to too blessed to be stressed thing. I think that actually denies some of what we're actually talking about. You know, it sort of denies that there's a problem, but there's actually, you know, there, you may be more stressed than you realize. Yeah. But yeah, the, you know, renewing the mind is 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 really the the beginning to. Living healthier, living better lives, and feeling better, and sleeping better, just it causes so many problems to disappear. Um, Why would we not want to do more of it or learn how to do it at least?
1: You talk in chapter seventeen, and I don't want to hash all that out because a lot of what you've written here is deeply personal, and I don't know that I'm necessarily comfortable enough right now to talk about that in such a public forum. I would recommend people definitely get the book and read through that, but um, I think it fits very well with with what you said at the beginning of uh, ministers losing kind of the how to do the job, you know, you're doing, you're doing the job just to, cause I've got a light bill and I have kids that need to eat. And I definitely have some allergy medicines cause I'm a big fan of not sneezing, you know, and so you forget how. And so with your experiences of being in the ministry and then all of this growth since then, what would be maybe three or four things that you'd be like, listen to me right now, church, Here's what you need to do because we're breaking our ministers, which all this, all the studies show that we are, um, all, not just you, so many ministers burn out because mm-hmm. they always have to pick up the phone. They don't get really a day off, even if they have a day off, it's because they, they can't, you know, right. um, I don't think there's a lot of safe spaces. They're not trained to deal with, um, you know, certain types of mental, physical trauma. They're just not trained for that, but I think people unload it on them. And so yep. with your experiences and and then just kind of some of your story like what would be three or four things you'd be like all right listen here's we need to start doing this and here's why like what would you integrate if you were to rebuild things
0: Basically um I would narrow it down to three simple things and they they're simple but they're they're hard to do they're hard to make yourself do it the first is just you know choose you cannot do anything different if you if you unless you choose to if you, if you don't make the choice to make a change, nothing's going to happen because, you know, we need that, you know, that mark there to say, okay, here's where I draw the line. Mm. After this, I'm going to start changing, start doing things differently. And this is, you know, if you're going to lose weight, if you're going to, you know, anything like that, you got you to make a choice. I'm going to do it. And so with, you know, with deconstruction and with renewing the mind, you know, the first thing you have to do is, is just choose. I'm going to do this. I've got to. Read other things. I've got to look, branch out and look at some different viewpoints that are, you know, different than mine and and kind of try to meet in the middle of all this and see if, you know, see if any of it sticks. Um, So that would be the first major thing. If you don't choose to renew your mind, it just, you know, it'll just be one of those things that, you know, 10 years from now, I wish I had done it.
2: Hmm. And we don't
0: don't want that. I I really strongly encourage people to read the book uh, and, and choose. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to live this way anymore. For me, it was just desperation. I couldn't live this way anymore. I had a nervous breakdown, uh, spent time in the hospital, spent time in therapy. Um, and so I knew I had to make a change. There was no question about it. And so I chose to do things differently, to approach life differently, to approach the Bible differently. And, um, and it's really been liberating to be honest. So choice is the first one. And then the second would be confrontation. Um, You've got to confront your old thoughts. You've got to confront your old mindsets. You have to be willing to look in the mirror and say, maybe I'm wrong. I was just having a conversation with somebody a little while ago uh, on social media. Uh, He's dangerous. He made this, yeah, somebody <laughs> I knew for for a long time, um, very much an evangelical, very much in the conservative um, camp, mm-hmm. but um, made a statement that, you know, all millennials are, are – uh, whiny babies that you know depend on the government and they depend on man uh and, and I was like well what what data do you have to support that really because I was interested because I know millennials are they're leaving the church in droves It's probably because of comments like that um but he just said you know my eyes my eyes this is what my eyes are telling me I said like, what does your heart tell you and then he began to quote scripture you know Jesus turned the money to tables and this that and the other. And it's like you know, but brother, you can make scripture say anything you want it to say to win an argument. You really can, mm-hmm. but it takes but it takes real courage and character to look in the mirror and say, maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe maybe I'm not the authority that I thought I was on on matters like this. Um, and kind of left it at that. But you know, you, you've got to you've got to have the courage to confront your your old ways of thinking, especially you know I, the book I dealt with my experiences with racism uh, in the church through the years. And, you know, I've had, actually had my life threatened a couple of times because, you know, for allowing people of color to come into the church. Um, but, you know, some people say, well, I, I, you know, I was born that way. I was raised that way, but you really choose to be that way. Um, you, you absorb information, you, t- you, you know, watch the signs of people you grow up with, uh, and you, and you just, you become this, you don't, you're, you know, you're not born a racist, um, racism is is just kind of something you pick up along the way, mm-hmm. and so w- if you're, you know, with me, I had to be willing to confront that because I consider myself one of the most non-racist people I know. Um, but if I had to be really honest with myself, there are still areas of my life that I need to work on with that, and and so I, you know, it's just a, a work in progress. But you got to be willing to confront that thing and say this thing might have a, a bigger hold on me than I thought it did, mm-hmm. um, and you know, just just uh, confront that. So choice, confrontation, and then, you know, the confrontation of course is the, is the hardest part. Um, And then, then, you know, you just kind of start living that way day by day. Um, You start gathering new information. You know, basically the brain works like this. You, you, you give it information. It processes the information like a computer. It stores information in your subconscious. So these are things that you don't even think about when you're awake, these are the things that you dream about when you're sleeping. Um, And, you know, for years, I used to dream that I was uh, back in middle school and there was a test and I didn't know I was ready for it. I didn't know the combination of my locker because (laughs) it had been there since 1980. Um, It was just, you know, dreams like that. But, you know, when you start feeding your mind with different things on a regular basis, the subconscious starts to finally absorb these things. And pretty soon, you know, lately I've been having dreams where I'm like in charge of something or that I own something or that I'm uh, leading people in something. Um, and that's a big difference from being, the, you know, the kid who couldn't find his locker and, you know, not ready for a test. Um, and some people have, you know, even more vivid dreams than that. But, you know, once you once you confront yourself, you know, then, then you begin to just acquiesce and, and begin to start over day by day. A dear friend of mine um, passed away of cancer years ago used to say that um, people act and react based on the information that they have in front of them. And that really challenged me to look mm-hmm. at the, what is the information that I have in front of me that is causing me to act and react certain ways. Um, and and you know, once, we, once we get to the heart of that and we start to add new things and, and rebuild. Uh, with a stronger foundation of compassion and grace and love and, and all the things that that embody Jesus uh it, it just begins to change our lives it yeah. changes our health it changes our everything it just, it's it's a good way to go
1: you were talking about that story about you know uh griping about millennials and so i get that a lot um personally uh because you know i work at a bank i I'm, I'm the branch manager at that bank and Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a millennial and usually, usually that role is not held by a millennial. Um, right. so I get that often and I've, this is going to sound really mean, but it usually is someone that's, a uh, you know, rigid Bible believing, especially cause I'm here in central Virginia. Um, but I right. always turn it on its head and they'll I'll walk away. So I'll always ask them, you know, do you, do you believe that you train up a child in the way that they should go? And the answer is always absolutely okay then whose fault is this todd right you did <laughs> exactly you, you did if if you're so upset we only are the way that you made us like i don't know i don't know who you're actually mad at um which they don't exactly but that works in so many ways and i don't usually take it in a religious way we're talking about you know like online everything or, or facebook or right whatever. right um yeah so and piggybacking on that as well so i actually have the new data because I'm the guy that has to soak up data. So like on October 17, Pew, re, Pew came out with their new this year's worth of data. And it's like mm-hmm. another 13 point dip, like from like 53 to 41% or something like that. Like it's not just millennials leaving the church. It's just all the people. Right. Which is all, which is so bad. And I think you're, I think it's just cause we just yell. We don't do anything. We hoard wealth. We, we, we don't, we're not the church. We're just, um, I'll borrow a right. phrase from a friend. We're just a glorified social club that is hard to distinguish from the Kiwanis. Like exactly. you're not acting exactly. like a church. You're just a nonprofit Kiwanis with a cross on the, on the, on the, on the, um, on the doors there. So, yeah. Right. Well, we'll drive at home. I want to give you the last word for those listening, um, that are driving, you know, pull over, pay attention, this is what you need to take. If there's anything that you wanted to say, maybe I didn't touch on this. You're like, yeah, hear this. If you don't hear anything at all, hear this. And then to the end of that, just dovetail in where can people go? The books available where good books are sold, you know, Amazon, the normal places. Um, where would you direct people to as they're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go get this. So what would you want people to hear last? And then how do they go get it? The the the
0: main thing that I would probably drive home is is that there there is a better way to live than what you're living now. Hmm. Um, if you're unhappy, if you're unhappy in your relationships, if you're unhappy at work, if you're unhappy in school, um, there there's a better way. Because so many people feel like this is my lot in life, this is the cross that I'm supposed to bear, um, this is God's plan for my life, and I've got to be strong. And actually, no, there, there's actually a better way to to look at things. Uh, and that is just by renewing your mind, by thinking better thoughts and looking at better solutions, and then you'll actually begin to have better life outcomes. And that that was really the whole point of the book in, in, as far as my story, uh, because I was having bad outcomes for such a long time. And the reason I was having bad outcomes is because I was doing stuff wrong. And so when you, when you learn better ways of, of living and better ways of being a husband, better ways of being a father, better ways of being a, uh, a Christian and a church member or a non-church member, uh, you know, learning to um, embrace deconstruction and, and try to you know, figure out a better way to do these things, uh, just, just know that there is a way to do it. You can do that. You have the power to do that. It's called the brain. Um, hmm. and, and God gave it to us and he expect, expects us to, to use it. I would imagine. Um, so, you know, open your mind, use your mind, renew your mind. Um, and, and things will begin to change, not immediately. Um, but things will begin to change. You'll wake up one day a year from now, two years from now and be like, wow, look at where I've come all this time from where I started. Um, hopefully because you read my book and it changed your life. That was my prayer behind it. But, um, but you know, there are, there are other wonderful books out there about the brain and about how to, how to, how to make it work for you instead of against you. But um, uh, the book is available on Amazon. Um, I self-published through them. And so that, you know, being my first book, I just went that way. Um, so that it's available on Amazon, The Renewing of Your Mind, Todd R. Um, if you want, you know, my uh, website is ToddRVick.com. Um, todd at is my email. If you want to email me, uh, get in touch that way. I, I love to hear from people. Sometimes I get questions from, from people and, uh, and and I'm happy to answer. Um, you know, what did you think about this? what did you think about that? Um, and, and I love communicating like that with, with people that read the book. Um, and it, you know, and it just means a lot to me that they took the time out of all the great books in the world that they took time to read my book. Yeah. Um, it just, it's amazing. It's an amazing feeling. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where it's available is Amazon.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I would encourage, I enjoyed reading the book and thanks for sending it to me. Um, very much so. And I, I would echo it's, I read a lot of books. I really enjoyed reading your book, Um, so very much so. And thank you so much for coming on, Todd. Really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. I keep getting drawn back to what Todd talked about at the beginning, about pastors not being allowed to check out, like making sure that there's a healthy place. And I can't think of a more important thing as we walk into the holiday advent all the way through Easter season. It's just a huge machine of clockwork that must happen because the church is, I feel like often that we think the church is something it's not. The church is all about loving and taking care of people, less about that building that we like to go to on Sunday. And I love my church building as much as the next person, but that's not the church. And so I pray that each of you will find the space to recharge, to rest. I pray that each of you will find new ways or revisit old ways to renew both your heart your spirit and your mind Um, because God's in all of that. Talk with you next week. Be blessed.